Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Live from Trackside, this is IMSA Radio. Well, hello everybody and welcome along to Sebring 2015. We're ready to get some action on the track for the 63rd annual Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, fueled by Fresh from Florida. And we're going to bring you some live coverage from the track in just a few moments' time. This is the start of the second event in the Tudor United Sports Car Series for 2015. It's John Heinoff and the rest of the team in the Florida Sunshine. The Tudor United Sports Car Championship on IMSA Radio. Well, hello everybody and welcome along. Great to have your company. John Hindorf, great Kramer. And we've got Mark Miller from CJ Wilson Racing with us in the booth as well as we're ready to go for the uh, practice session for the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. Great to have you around the circuit and around the world on IMSA.com. Greg... Well, we've had an interesting uh, couple of days already. You and Jeremy have been watching the early sessions of uh, some of the support series, but time now for the big show to come out on the circuit. And, well, after a brilliant Daytona, a brilliant Daytona, it's been a long time coming, but it's so good to have cars ready to go back out on the circuit. Almost feels like an off-season yeah. has unfolded. It's been that long, but everybody's antsy. The weather forecast here is absolutely spectacular. I mean, sunny, mid-80s, all the way through race day. I mean, I don't think it could be a whole lot better. Uh, the track seems to be in great shape. I mean, Sebring has always got the challenge of the bumps and the like, but uh, everything else is absolutely spot on. The competition we've seen already has been superb. Everybody's saying things seem to be, you know, very good out on the track. Now it's time for, as you said, the big boys, the Tudor United Sports Car Championship cars to take the track. I'm sure after this long break, they are just sitting in those cars. The crews are absolutely antsy, ready to go. Mark Miller, uh, down to my far left from CJ Wilson Racing. Mark, welcome to IMSA uh, Radio. Sebring is a very special place, but it is a very special challenge, as Greg has uh, intimated that. It is. It's a, it's a different facility than, than most of these guys are used to, so it has its its challenges when you come here. The the It's a storied facility. You know, you have a lot of undulations and bumps, and, and in the braking zones in particular. And, you know, we go from Daytona, which is a super uber-smooth track, to a track like this, and it creates all sorts of challenges for the engineers in every one of these paddocks. And such a different environment from the high banks and the infield of Daytona, well, three hours or so up the road, which is the last time these guys were out on the track competitively. Yeah, and people don't realize, you know, in the bankings of Daytona, how much rob, uh, robbing of horsepower that does and, and the type of challenges that you have just to keep the car from bottoming out in the banking, just from just load on the tire where you have a flat circuit here 
it's a completely different environment. Green flag is out for this session. It is uh, an hour time session and we'll get some times to you in a moment. There, there have been a few stories, Greg, that we're going to have to get into straight away and not least at the sharp end of the prototype field where the guys from the uh, ESM Tequila Patron team are fielding a car that we weren't expecting to see again. Absolutely. They've actually made the decision to revert back to the car that they ran in the past uh, while they have uh, uh, new cars on order. They just haven't been able to find the pace in those new chassis that they debuted at uh, at Daytona. Just haven't been there. And obviously they've not only got uh, a huge focus on the uh, Tequila Patron North American Endurance Championship, but also they're going to be doing WEC racing. And they want a car that's going to max the points now. And hopefully the new chassis that they'll be getting uh, will be ready for them to really attack it. We know that Liget chassis is a very quick chassis, so they should be straight on it. Once they get it, it's 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 well developed. But now they're sort of in uh, in uh, you know let's just maximize what we have, get out there, get points. Uh, and the other two voices you will hear in this hour-long session are Jeremy Shaw and Shea Adam, who are down in the pit lane for us. Uh, now I'm not sure which one is which on my feeders at this time of day, <laughs> so I apologise. Uh, hello, Jeremy. I can hear you perfectly. See, that, that, just have faith. Have faith, Hindoff, and all will be good. Uh, Warming up nicely from a, a quite a foggy uh, and damp start this morning, but pretty much perfect conditions now, isn't it? Yes, that's absolutely right. It is nice. It's uh, the sun is out. It's a sort of kind of hazy sort of a sun for those of you who are not here at the racetrack. But yeah, the no, conditions are very good this, this, this morning. We've already had several practice sessions. We even have a, 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 the race for the MX5 Cup, so the track should be in pretty good shape right now, John. Uh, and I will, I'll try and push me look a little bit further and see if we can get a bit of Shea Adam uh, who was uh, whipped down to the pits as well. She might not be togged up quite yet. Uh, hello Shea, can you hear us? She's not togged up, I'm told by the responsible adult. I should really have just uh, <laughs> have worked that one out myself. So once again, uh, we are out on the circuit with the uh, Tudor United Sports Car uh, Championship ready to go. Uh, and in fact cars are already out on the circuit uh, let's not worry about the time so much at the moment but Mark what's going on up and down the pit lane now this is the first competitive laps after the long layoff as we've mentioned even at this stage of the week do people have a, a, a program still that they want to get through yeah, I mean, um, a lot of these teams have tested here. You know, sev the last several weeks, uh, you'll see teams in and out of here testing. They they pretty much, I mean, uh, these are all pro guys. They they know what they want to have the outcome. Um, but one of the things that is different, though, from the last several weeks is it's much warmer now. And that plays, this track is very temperature dependent. So uh, you can easily slow down a second or two just from a 10 to 20 degree uh, swing in the temperature. So now they're going to be using today as that test bed, knowing that the 12 hours is going to be run under some 80 degree weather. It's a car breaker, this circuit. If you want to test a car for any kind of endurance, this is the way, This is the place to bring it. Audi have been coming here for 10 or 15 years, and we're here uh, just a few weeks ago, not under strict secrecy, but certainly not really advertising it either. That's the car. What about the driver? What sort of forces are being exerted on a driver in one of these prototypes around here? Well, this is a flat circuit, and the prototypes are high downforce. I mean, especially now, the, even the DP cars are producing much more downforce than they previously were. Um, and obviously, the, the Liget and the, the other prototypes uh, are just producing so much side load that, you know, 
uh, I worked out with Oz Negri last week, actually, to come to mind, uh, and he kicked my butt. Like, he literally <laughs> kicked my butt working out. Yeah, you know, I'm used to power steering, production car, a lot of, lot of suspension travel, and his, like, I've had to ramp up this workout just because the Liget just got so much lateral grip. Well, that's a good point. You look at a lot of these 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 jockey-sized prototype drivers, completely out of proportion. Their necks look like they're middle linebackers. Uh, it's And it's all because of the training that they have to do and just dealing with the G-loads. I mean, you, you talked about the side bite. Those G-loads on the head alone, then put a helmet on it. Right. I mean, it's it's amazing and what they're dealing with. And then sit on the 130-degree weather with yeah. no air coming in because Jim, these guys don't run cool suits. Jim Roller and I were speaking in Marion's this morning. Um, f- we are fueled by Marion's here. At, at <laughs> yes, Radio. we are. Um, and uh, thank you, Marion, and everyone down there. And looking at the guys walking in and out, it wouldn't have mattered how much talent we had as drivers. We weren't born to be racing drivers. We just do not have the I don't the know about you, type. John, but I, I felt <laughs> like I was born to be <laughs> <laughs> You, fine. Your body type is fine. And what I said to Jim Roller was uh, what I what I said to Jim Roller this morning was you know being a race driver yes you have to have skill but nowadays more than ever before in racing history there is a body type that you need because of the way the regulations particularly in prototypes have come along you've got to be able to fit in a car you've got to have the fitness you've got to have the endurance it, it would be like suggesting that Jim Roller or I could be 100 meter sprinters we were not that body type and Yes, you can hide some of it, Mark, with yeah. raw talent. But ultimately, the guys who were at the top of their game, and when you look back through the ages and you look at people even now, like Hurley Haywood, Sterling Moss, Bill Adam, who we were talking about, these guys who were well through their careers, they are still live, they are still lean, and they are still fit. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of that also comes into some um, mental focus, too, because you have to be mentally strong in this car, and you can wear yourself out mentally even in perfect physical condition. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just being in top, tip-top shape physically, but you have to be really mentally focused, especially when you're carrying that type of speed with that many flashing lights and, and feedback on the, in the steering wheel and, and all these little elements that they've added over the years. It's not just a seat and a steering wheel and a big <laughs> engine anymore. No. It's, it's technologically advanced more so than it ever has well, been. Well, you have to have the ability to absorb massive amounts of information and let none of it distract you, right. just inform you. And that's not always it. the easiest thing to do, is it? Well, that's why you see success from some of the uh, video game, yeah. the simulator programs that have come up. I mean, I spend... I, I've got a gym in my house. I built a simulator to go in my house. I'm on it as much as I have time mm. just to be able to focus. Uh, you're listening to IMSA Radio live from Sebring, Florida. It's the 63rd annual Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. Uh, and we're on track with the first uh, free practice session of the Tudor United Sports Car Championship at IMSA Radio is where you need to tweet uh, if you want to speak to us in the booth. Let's head back down to Jeremy Shaw. Jeremy? Yeah, caught up with uh, Scott Sharp here, the Tequila Petroni SM team, and uh, big changes for this team, big change of plan over the last few weeks, uh, Scott. What can you tell us first of all about the changes you've made here for Sebring? It's been a rough uh, three or four months for the guys. You know, I can't say enough about every person on the Extreme Speed Motorsports and just how hard they've worked, and it hasn't really ended. I mean, they've been doing long nights even the last few nights, so we're trying to get them a break somewhere here. Uh, but and I want to thank everyone from HPD as well. It's been a group effort, and um, I, I, at the end of the day, um, 
the new chassis needed to be homologated, and uh, there's a deadline for that, and the car really wasn't ready for that. And I think the decision was made for more development to go on and um, take their time, get it right, and you know we basically have to have a homologated car and go racing. So made us have to uh, you know, go to Plan B, which the immediate Plan B was switched to last year's cars, which will run here, and then we'll take over and run at Silverstone in the first WC race. What is it about you guys in Sebring? I know this is your home race, but every year it seems you have a last-minute change of plan. You did it with the, with the, with the year. Oh, and Jeremy has been got, just as he was asking the uh, really important question. <laughs> Apologies uh, for that. We'll try and get Jeremy back. Uh, from the oh, you're back, Jeremy. Yeah. Sorry, just lost oh, you for a wee moment there. Yeah, sorry, Scott. So you were saying, technical glitch. Apologies. For development. Yeah, and uh, you, what, how, how different was it to go from the closed cockpit car to the open cockpit car here? I guess that's kind of good news because it's, it's going to be hot this weekend. Well, that, well, actually, it's nice from that perspective, and our pit stop driver changes are pretty quick. But for all of us, you know, we've driven that car enough after a couple of years that it was just like putting on an old pair of shoes, you know. Boom, jump right in, you're right back up to, you know, great speed. So, obviously, uh, old cars are going to probably be as fast as the Shank car, maybe a couple of the other cars. But uh, this is uh, typically a good track for the O3B. And I think uh, we, the knowledge of the car and the reliability of the car, preparation of the car, hopefully all those come into play for us. And we can run all day and be strong towards the end of the race. Well, yeah, I mean, how much time do you have to prepare these cars? What state were they in a couple of weeks ago when you made the decision? Well, they had been a little bit of TLC since uh, Shanghai, but not a lot. So the, one of the reasons the guys just had to work so hard to do a proper 12-hour prep on it, as well as all the spares, as well as getting everything ready. The day after this race, everything goes to Europe. So it's been quite a thrash. Have a nice plane sailing weekend, Scott. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? Everybody will be uh, uh, hoping for that one. This is a place, Mark Miller, that is very, very uh, unforgiving. And starting <laughs> off badly means your weekend normally is not going to get very much better. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it is unforgiving. And you can see by some of the lap times, I think everyone's just uh, kind of doing the normal shakedown. Um, I think the the speeds are definitely going to drop. But uh, going back to ESM, I mean, I love that decision about running their old cars and keeping the team sharp and and being able to be more prepared for when they uh, when they take delivery of their new car. And um, it's good that to see them here, definitely. And I I think they're they're going to be it's going to be like putting on an old shoe when they come back here with those cars because they they know them so well. Uh, I, I the question is, will they be competitive? And it would suggest from the back-to-back -back test that they did at Sebring a few weeks ago that they might not be super competitive, but they're not that far off the pace. Well, and we're talking about a 12-hour race here, so being super competitive doesn't necessarily mean pace. It means we know the car, we know what to fix, we know what's going to break, we know um, every mechanic knows exactly what to do to this car, and and we're prepared to go the distance, and that's that can win this race. And I think that type of situation, that, that's what it makes it a kind of a smart decision for them to do this. Uh, you can follow along if you have to step away from your computer uh, by going to uh, at IMSA Live and tweet us at IMSA Radio. The whole team uh, is here and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on the 
the social media of course Johannes van Overbeck in the number two uh, ESM at the moment is the best time of 54.5 uh, Joao Barbosa in the, in the number five car the Action Express Mustang uh, the uh, Action Express Mustang sampling uh, Corvette should I say um, is in second place at the moment the car he shares with uh, Sebastian Fittipaldi and Sebastian, uh, Christian Fittipaldi and Sebastian Baudet I will get something right this morning. Scott Pruitt is in the 0-1 car uh, in third position at the moment. But they're uh, only separated by mere tenths of a second. In fact, the top four with Max Angelelli in the 10 uh, is uh, still only eight tenths away. We saw, Greg, uh, a little bit of a changing of the guard as far as the new IMSA and the United Sports Car Championship uh, is concerned at Sebring when an LMP2 car was on pole position uh, and Michael Shank's team have put in a fantastic amount of work now ultimately that didn't turn into the result I'm sure they would have wanted at the Rolex 24 hours but could we see a P2 victory here this weekend that's the question that everybody is asking well I think so I mean just look back at how close that ESM team was to winning it last year I mean they were well placed the, the winning car from, uh, from Ganassi Racing with Felix Sabates needed a fuel stop Ryan Dial had that car in a perfect position. Late yellow came out, just opened up the window for the Ganassi guys. They were able to stay in front and won it. So, yes, it's it's entirely possible. And remember, this race had a lot of cautions last year. Hopefully we won't see that many. Mm. But it is a track that tends to bunch things up a little bit, keep the, uh, the uh, competition close at an outright pace. Those cars were very close. And some of the rule changes that they made late in the season last year, which I think was a great deal because in pure terms of horsepower, and we've talked about this before, John, you know, on an open lap, those those downforce momentum cars, they've got great speed. The minute they get in traffic, those DPs with the greater grunt and torque are going to be a little bit more effective. They added some weight to the P2 cars and then gave them a little bit more power, which has made them racier in traffic. So I think they're a strong package. And with what we saw in terms of raw pace at Daytona from that Ligier chassis, I definitely think a P2-derived prototype car is going to be in the hunt this year. And, of course, it's not just the purebred prototypes that are out there on the circuit. We have the Grand Tourers, the cars that are derived from uh, the machinery that if any of us here dropped the lottery at the weekend we would be hot footing down to our local Aston Martin, Ferrari, Corvette, Porsche, BMW dealers and putting large amounts of folding down to fill our virtual garage into a virtual garage into a real one. Uh, GTLM at the moment led by both of the factory works Porsches, the core run cars, Nick Tandy in first and in fact Jan Magnussen in the number three Corvette pops up in the second. 14th, 15th and 16th the top three there. 9-11-3 and 9-1-2 the three cars and then Oli Gavin in fourth position so two Porsches and two Corvettes before the Aston Martin number 98. Good to see Darren Turner uh, and the rest of the Aston Martin team here. We weren't sure that they would be back for this race. There were another team, Greg, that didn't get the result they were hoping for uh, out of Daytona. And Paul Dallalana, uh, Darren Turner and the rest of that team decided to come back and give Sebring a go. Well, they too had good pace at Daytona, but speed, as we know in these endurance races, Mark, you're talking about, doesn't translate into results. And uh, so I think that you know they felt like we've got a good opportunity, we've got a, a great shot here. Let's come back. Obviously, it's an important race for Paul, uh, but also 
Let's not forget just the general prestige of Sebring. I mean, this is the longest-running endurance race in the U.S. Uh, that has international recognition. This is a world-class big event, and I think the draw for Aston Martin, the draw for the team, was just that strong and said, let's bring them back. And, uh, boy, aren't we glad for it. Uh-huh. And this class, this is the manufacturer battle, not just necessarily for the, the cars, tires as well. There's only a couple in it right now, but it's the manufacturer battle, and it's the class that translates directly internationally across the stage this is a very special category and the racing in this in this class is historically and we certainly saw it again at daytona is just unbelievably intense and let's talk about the fourth of the classes as well that is the gtd category and it's mario farmbacker for the 23 that's a, a famous number of course alex job racing the porsche gt america a car specifically built for this gtd category. i think there's only 20 of them in the world collectors items never mind their racing pedigree and they are out front at the moment on a 215 the pc leader is martin plowman spoke to plowy yesterday uh, whilst he was grabbing some look the whole world congregates at marion's which we if you actually want to find out anything in a racetrack don't chase the stories sit at one end of marion's and watch everyone come in for breakfast lunch or dinner and let the world the motorsport world come to you plowy just signed up to do some gt work and he's very very excited about that opportunity uh had a good chat with him yesterday about driving the uh, the gt3 cars and he is very excited about that this is uh, a little sojourn back to the states for him uh, in the pc car and he's in seventh position overall with a 56-2 and that is a pretty decent time for a prototype challenge car mark miller to my left nodding sagely there these pc cars they've been around for a wee while now started life as an lmp1 car of course mark but they, they're still put on a show and they are still a driver's car they are well i mean anytime you get into a spec situation and and they're all sorted and developed i mean these cars have been around uh, the teams have had their hands on them for several years and, and they've found all the tricks that they need to find to make the car drivable and that's why you see a lot of these um these guys hop in like connor daly is the first uh his first event in, in the pc car and yeah, i've known him from since karting days and i mean he just jumped in as top five right now and you look at the drivers in this lineup. Mm. These cars are just a great little package, and everyone's on the Continental tires. Everyone's um, got the same chassis, same engine output, and it makes for a pretty tight little uh, pack. Well, I think one of the interesting things is, you know, sometimes people that aren't real familiar with it look at it and go, well, that's a spec class. But it is no, one high-performance spec class. I mean, re- remember, the chassis started as a P2, LMP2 chassis that had great success back when they were in their prime. It's got the LS3 yeah. Corvette engine that is a wicked quick power plant in it. What I love about it is no traction control. Mm-hmm. You know, it, So it you get a good lap sure. out of this. You're right. It, it is the driver yeah. is getting it done. And, ju- you know, I mean, here, long straights and everything, it's going to be obviously at an outright speed disadvantage uh, in terms of lap times to the prototype cars. But we've seen at Long Beach, those cars have led overall on the tight squirt, you know, high torque, you know, corners. These cars have wicked performance, yes, in a spec form, but that doesn't detract from what they're about exactly. And if you ever watch any of the feeds, you can see how tough it is for some of the other cars to get around these cars, and especially on the straightaways. They're, they're, they're no slouches, and like, like you said, they're, they're high performance at every level. They're built up. Um, they actually have to slow them down to a point. Yeah. Just to, and that's the great thing about them is now it's, 
there's so many of them available. So it's a really popular class. Great to see the Brumos Porsche colours in from uh, Jacksonville. Just a wee, uh, we drive up the road from us here at, at Sebring. The classic 59 and the red, white and blue colours of the Jacksonville Porsche dealer that is well, so synonymous with road racing uh, here in the United States and Dan Davies and the rest of the guys up there. Hello to you. I know that uh, you'll be listening in in this first Tudor Championship practice session here on IMSA Radio. Good to have all of your company today, whether you're here around the circuit or further afield as we bring the world's largest uh, endurance racing community together. Don't forget, if you're here at the track of the weekend, WWTKEM 7.30 will be broadcasting our race call here in at the track and, in fact, across Central Florida. Oz Negri with the best time now in the 60 car down to a 1.53.7. Uh, for that car, 153.8 for Nick Johnson in the 57. Joao Barbosa, 54.5, 54.5 for Johannes van Overbeck, who was uh, the early leader. Richard Westbrook back with us uh, as well in the number 90. That very pretty blue, mainly blue coloured DP, fifth position for them. And that is the top five, by the way, gentlemen, within a second. <laughs> Delightful. I mean, that's exactly what we have been seeing, and uh, I think it's it's not long. It's going to compress even more. Uh, you, you know that there's more to come from everybody, and as as everybody picks up speed, the guys that are 6th, 7th, and 8th, they generally pick up that little bit more, and things just compress up. Wanted to make a good point. You know, there's a big focus, as always, here at Sebring, but this event, there's a big focus on history. I mean, oh, yeah. they have the car that won here 50 years ago in 65, the Chaparral that's going to do laps. Um, I think it was 40 years ago the BMW that won here uh, is is going to do laps with no less than Hans Stuck throwing it around a little bit out there a neat piece of history here you were talking about Connor Daly and of course his dad had a fair amount of success here back in the late 80s I guess he did okay yeah and the story <laughs> that's really fun about that guys remember it was it was the Nissan team but remember the name of that team Performance Technologies oh, yeah. was yes. the team I'm that fielded sorry, it, yes. and he's driving for Performance, performance Tech. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so sorry, right yes. now, so there's a little, uh, you know, little uh, nice energy going on right there. And I found out that, you know, Brent O'Neill had Performance Tech existed back in that era, and when that Nissan team ran the name Performance Technologies, he got a little bit of a. Uh, of uh, royalties, I guess, uh -huh. while they were using that uh, that name. So just it, just a neat dynamic to having Connor come and run with uh, with Performance Tech here. How has Connor not been able to further his career Seriously. In, in single seasons? <laughs> and I mean, it's a story we we're, we're seeing Connor there, but you know, Bruno Juncara is just above him. As we've got a red flag uh, on the circuits for turn an issue. fifteen is the report I'm Ooh. getting. That's uh, onto the back straight, the Ullman straight right. here. And my guess is. would be that uh, thirty-three, the oh. one of the one of the Vipers, Vipers. Yep. the thirty-three car, and that is Jerome Plegamore, fastest in GTD. Yep. Ah, he just jumped up to P1, and fastest time, and then went off. Looks like he's been quite a way off the circuit and tried to get back on there. Uh, we can see that he's off to drivers left, just coming into the area through the Jean de Bianca's before you turn right. Uh, and down the Ullman back straight, I was wondering if he'd uh, sort of overcooked it coming out. I, I love the new look on the uh, the 33 with the yeah. the black, the matte black rear panel. That just changes the whole of the rear look of that uh, 2015 Viper. Speaking of history here, they had some last year. They 
Which they wouldn't have had to have dealt with, didn't they? Yes. Let's so. let, let's let's move on. From <laughs> yeah. I'm tempted to say it's not their first barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Exactly. We'll get that one out of the way early on. You're done. To we move on. Yeah, they're done. They were. <laughs> they were well done. Medium rare. Greg uh, for adding fuel to the fire like yeah, that. All right. Okay. We'll stop all of that now. <laughs> uh, we've already got the. Uh, Safety unit out there to help Jerome Blake and Morlan back in the 33 Viper. Uh, that'll take just a wee moment. The, the reason the red flag comes out is this is a free practice session. It, it's uh, not anything that, um, you, you know, we're going to lose the time. There's no real point in just doing that under local yellow because that means nobody can really uh, improve anyway. So everyone will come back into the pit lane. You're listening to uh, IMSA Radio Live from Sebring, Florida and the 63rd Annual Mobile One. 12 hours of Sebring, fueled by Fresh from Florida. 3.7 miles around this classic road racing circuit, the place that hosted the first US Grand Prix, the original version of the uh, World Sports Car Championship came here in the 50s, and people like Sterling Moss and Sir Jack Brabham from Europe uh, and further afield, Australasia, came over to race their cars on what was then a, a fairly featureless uh, area. You'll see the old pictures of the circuit marked out by nothing more than oil drums and straw wheels sometimes, yeah. Remember Hurley Haywood talking about uh, back in his early days racing here, which would have been in the 70s. And, you know, at, when it got dark in particular, they didn't have the, the lights up on the corners like mm. they do now to help see flag stations and the like. And he talked about stories about cars, you know, that uh, you'd, you'd be following, literally following the car's taillights in front of you, and you'd follow that car, and suddenly you'd feel a bump, and then corn stalks would be slapping. You just drove, <laughs> followed him right off the track. At time. He told a great story about that. He was gaining on this guy. Oh, no, he didn't. Uh, he saw this orange glow out in front of him, and it was just very small. And he's just cruising along, cruising along. And uh, he said all of a sudden it got just close enough that he was able to read it, and it was, at the time, as we go back to green, it was the orange label on the guy's tack, and the guy lost his taillights. <laughs> and Hurley's headlights were struggling, and he said, yeah, I just dynamited the brakes honking big spin and he said it was that dark back in the day so uh it's a it's a little bit different in terms of of those challenges now but uh, you know i think one of the things here is you know obviously now there's only a few of the original uh, airport taxiways and the like are used and they're still in original trim these rough concrete and the like but now you've got three or four different types of pavement around this track and you were talking about the challenges for the engineers the tire engine everybody getting these cars to be as consistent as possible with all these pavement changes oh absolutely and it's it's not just the drivers because uh, you know drivers are going to complain about the changing conditions they're going to complain about the bumps and mm-hmm. the engineers are going to be working with the tire engineers to make sure that the the deflection is is proper with the the compound that's going to uh handle all the different uh levels but also the rubber buildup. i mean yeah, think about yeah. all the different types of tires that are out there um and and that race and and some some tires pick up rubber so mm-hmm. you you're going to go out there and you're going to be in one session, you're just like, man, there's so much grip here, yeah. so much lateral grip, and you go out the next session, and there's just chunks of rubber because it's getting picked up by some of the smaller cars. So head back down to the pit lane while we get a moment, and Jeremy Shaw has a little more for us. Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah, I'm in the uh, Paul Miller racing pit here, and uh, Dion von Molka and Christopher Haas are comparing notes. Christopher's just got, uh, got in after doing the first few laps of the session. Bryce Miller has just taken the uh, number 48 uh, Audi out onto the racetrack. Christopher 
first of all, how track conditions out there? Uh, I mean, right now track condition is quite good. We have uh, low temperature and the traffic was also it's, um, predictable. So right now it's, uh, it's a good session to yeah to to put some laps. And but it will be I think it will be worse in the afternoon. Yeah, it's going to get really hot this weekend. And how hot is it in at the wheel of the Audi that closed coupe? I think it is. Uh, as a driver, you are happy if you have a cooling suit or something for the helmet, uh, because you need that. Otherwise, you you are really in trouble. Yeah, and it's very physical racetrack. You've been here to uh, Sebring before, but this is unlike any racetrack you race on in Europe, isn't it? No, there's nothing else in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it fun though. Dion von Molke, you've had a lot of success here at Sebring in the past. You're going to go uh, uh, drive this car next. You've had a lot of success in these long-distance races to 24 hours and here at Sebring as well. What yeah. is it about these tracks for you? Yeah, you know, it's just the right mentality going into the race. The team, the drivers all have to be on the same page. We know tire wear around Sebring is vital, so we're trying to find the right balance to last through the whole stint instead of the car up for the last two, three hours of the race. Long way to go, but the car seems to start it off quick out of the box. Yeah, absolutely. We tested here. A lot of teams tested here. And you need to show up to this race weekend with a good balance right away because you don't have much time to really do much setup work. So wanted to show up, good to go, and focus on race setup while we're here and really just get us all in the groove. And I'm back. Go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, did you hear the interview with Dion? Yes, we did. Okay, great. No, that's all I was saying after that was that the, the, the team drivers have got a lot of work to do just to prepare for this 12-hour classic. Without doubt they do. By the way, right before we had that red flag, just want to let you know that the number five, Joel Barbosa, had put that car up at the top at a 152.485. Now it's been turned over to no less than Sebastian Bourdais, uh, who is out on, on track right now. And one of the things I, I wanted to, to uh, uh, talk to you guys about, you know, we were talking about the effects of heat, uh, some of the other sessions we had out there, you know, when the lights were running, very aerodynamic cars, and uh, obviously... Hot and cold when you've got aero on the cars, it changes that immensely. Tire, all of that. But there's another aspect to it, too. When you're at a track, and as he said, there's no other place like this. When Jeremy said in Europe, he went in the world. The bumps here, the dampers, every undulation of those dampers, that's energy. It goes somewhere. It goes into heat. It is an immense, uh, massive engineering challenge for the suspension engineers here. Right, and, and you know, the, the higher levels you get, the more adjustability you get. So they're actually building shocks specifically for this track, and they're tuning shocks just for this track, um, and the amount of energy that goes into that alone. But, you know, another thing, Greg, that a lot of people don't, this is a flat circuit. Mm -hmm. We're in central Florida. Wind direction changes a lot. Um, I spoke with one of the prototype drivers last week, and they said just having a headwind even at Daytona and then the wind changing direction would completely change their dynamic going into the bus stop, going into turn one, and it makes it very difficult to, to predict that. That's Mark Miller. You're listening to IMSA Radio live from Sebring, Florida. Let's head back down to Jeremy Shaw in the pillow. Hello, Jeremy. Yeah, hi, uh, hi John. Uh, the, one of the...
Go on, Jeremy. Yeah, it's Martin Plowman. Sounds like we've got a, a slight issue with uh, Jeremy's pack down. He's back. Go on. Yeah, you are. It's Martin Plowman who's just hopped out the number 16 bar one motorsports car. Martin, track conditions early in the weekend? It's very greasy out there right now, so the track's very slippy in some corners, but traffic's a big problem for us right now as well. But I just did three laps to set a baseline time. We made a few quick changes, but now I handed the car over to Mark to, uh, to learn the track and get up to speed. Yeah, how much time has he had here in the past? Uh, he said he's had a one-day test a few weeks ago, but uh, this is his first Sebring 12-hour race, so you know he doesn't have a lot of experience here. So the, the, the more time that he gets in the car at, at my expense, the better, because you know obviously he needs to really get up to speed here. Now, the first race of the season, you guys, at, for you guys at Daytona, was was good and bad, wasn't it? I mean, you had some, you had some good strong pace, reasonable finish after some glitches, and then what happened after the race? You guys got to put to the back because of the driver time issues. Tell us a little bit about that. It was, a, it was a shame. It was a great race for the Bar 1 team. The car was strong, the drivers did a great job, but unfortunately we had an infraction where the drive time where our second amateur driver didn't fulfill the minimum drive time. But the unfortunate thing was that we had three amateurs in the car who did more than enough time between them to, to be qualified. But it, it was just a slight technicality, so it's, you know we accept the rules are the rules, and uh, we can only blame ourselves. But it, it just sucks because we didn't, you know, we didn't gain any advantage from that. Yeah, I guess uh, the way the rules are written was a little bit of ambiguity there, but it's now being clarified. That's the good news. But you, the good strong pace from these cars, and looking forward for a strong season, Martin. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still running race by race right now, so my, my own future is always in doubt, but I'm always here, I'm always smiling, just enjoying the opportunity that I get. Great attitude, love it. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for persisting. I'm just going to leave you uh, slightly faded up, so when you ping your mic up, I should be able to, uh, to hear you. Into the pit lane, the 0 1. Scott Pruitt on board. Time's beginning to uh, come down a wee bit now. 52 4, Sebastian Bordier. In the five car, that's uh, the Action Express Racing Corvette uh, at the moment. Now, in massive 1.2 seconds, we were just seeing how close everything was. John Pugh jumps into the 60 uh, in second position. Nick Johnson in the 57 in third. Johannes van Overbeck, uh, the fourth position. That's a decent time by Nick Johnson there. Uh, 153.8, just a tenth or so away from John Pugh. And that's a car that you can't miss around this circuit. Uh, uh, thank you very much to the Crone Racing team for not just having something that looks similar to everything else. Yeah, it explodes visually when it pops into view. There's no question. And uh, we have the, uh, I think it's the number seven, or the number eight prototype challenge car. That's the Martini car. Yeah, going very slowly on track. And a little bit ago, the number three Corvette of Jan Magnussen limped it in. And Lost a left-hand yeah. headlight there as well. Yeah, he's uh, got uh, something pretty severe going on. Looks in his left-hand uh, mirror behind him to see the Ferraris and the Ligiers coming no, up. No, he picks it up. Now, that, uh, that's, that's a reset. That, Mark, is one of those things where you're talking to the guys uh, in the pit lane and they're telling you which fuses to push or which buttons to press. That's down at turn seven. He's just gone past Chateau Elan there and heads off onto the far side of the circuit. so frustrating when that happens for a driver. You know, John, you know what it could be? You know, uh, Plowy was just saying how crazy the traffic was, which was I thought was funny because the GT driver just got out and said it was wonderful. Well, the slower, <laughs> the slower cars, you know, they don't have to deal with 
catching traffic, but the PC cars and the P cars obviously are dealing with that. He could have just been, hey, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and get a gap and find uh, a space where I can run without running into some GT cars. Yep. Renger um, van der Zand has got a lot of experience, and he is a, he's a smart head. He's a, he's a mature head on, uh, on his shoulders, that young man. Uh, in fact, we could say that up and down the field here. Yeah, yeah there's no reason guys. to take unnecessary chances in the first practice session. So you want to find a gap and, and learn a little bit more about the car rather than just running through traffic constantly. The 911 of Nick Tandy's in second position. The 912 of York Bergmeister is in fourth position. Nick Tandy just working his way through the S's on the far side of the circuit. Visor up the big red number two on the side of that car in the rear window behind the, uh, the driver on both sides of the car actually and that uh, shows that he is second in his category at the moment that's because the number one will be on the side of the number three Corvette of Jan Magnussen as that uh, Hertz sponsored Porsche turns into 17 and just drifts over the bumps it is very very bumpy down there in 17 uh, you know I love the fact that over all the years Mark the character of this circuit and there's been a couple of detailed changes down at seven most recently they used to have the big carousel of course around the the back of the the circuit here but effectively the circuit's character has not changed and the bumps nobody said i tell you what let's resurface of all let's try let's make it all billiard table smooth and i think it's all the better for that i do and <laughs> i i don't have Man, i don't have to drive here yeah. you don't have to drive <laughs> you don't have to drive here john it's but the um the, the, weird, the strange thing about this is you, you'll come here, and the first time you come here, because I don't have thousands of laps here. I have very limited time at Sebring. Um, and every time I come here, I just I already know that there's nothing I can do about seven, the center of 17. And there's three or four ways you can get through 17, and you're either going to gain a little bit on the front straightaway, or you're going to gain a little bit under braking, but you're just going to have to deal with it, and it's about optimizing the car. But the guys that come here that have run thousands and thousands of laps here um, have been around here for 20 years. They can blindfold it, get in a car, not drive in two years, get in a car and be fast at Sebring. And yeah. it just blows my mind, and I can't wait to be able to get to that level. But um, it just comes to that point uh, where you're so comfortable and you're so complacent about where the bumps are that you just know what to do. And not every track's like that. A lot of tracks change over the years. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, you're listening to IMSA Radio. We're live from Sebring. That was Mark Miller, Greg Kramer, and John Hindorf in the booth. Jeremy Shaw down in the pit lane. Yeah, hi, John. See, while I was waiting for Mark to finish there, I could hear Jeremy absolutely perfectly. And to see, as soon as Jeremy comes to speak, we lose him. Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah, unfortunately we're having some problems here with the mic with the microphone when I get out from a direct line of sight. But uh, in the pit lane here with Nick Johnson and Nick, Nick, uh, good early pace from this car. Yeah, no, I mean uh, this, uh, you know, Judd powered Legier JSP2. It's a very good balanced car, and we've been here, you know, for a couple of days of testing. So I think we have a pretty good baseline and. Uh, Daytona with some mechanical, but we uh, have big hopes. Thank you, Jeremy, for uh, per persisting there. That's the 57 car that we were talking about sitting uh, down in third position at the moment, but uh, very much in the, the right area in PC. John Bennett's now behind 
uh, the leading car ninth position overall for the 54 uh, 155.1 the best time uh, for that car Jerry Crown behind the wheel of the 85 in second on a 56.0 and Mark Drumright behind uh, the wheel of the 16 in third position that's your top three in prototype challenge Dirk Werner now leads the GTLM class in the number 25 and uh, interesting uh, story with the BMWs uh, this weekend of course because one of the cars is running in the tribute or the cars are running in the tribute uh, livery for the 40th anniversary of the uh, BMW Motorsport North America uh, and great to see the Team RLL guys back here 24 and 25 still can't quite get used to seeing those cars running 24 and 25 and not numbers in the night <laughs> yeah absolutely after all these years good luck here we're watching now the 17 the falcon tires car that's the gtlm category obviously the team that's running uh a different tire and they're in it to be develop those falcon tires to you know learn and learn from the absolute best you know michelin obviously has been the, uh, the front runner in this category and uh they seem to have made some strides i mean when They've always been in low grip and especially wet situations. Those Falcon Street tires have been ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but they seem to have made some genuine strides on just the normal dry tire uh, for for a uh, uh, smoother track as well. So they're making uh, some good ground. And this track, I mean, we've talked about it, has some characteristics akin to some of the s- street circuits. So they've always been pretty decent here. You know, another thing, uh, Greg, that really surprises me about this team is they're doing this with one car. Yeah, yeah. And that is... That is tough. That's tough. To have two cars or or three in some cases and having all that data to be able to to pour over and and try different things, they're developing this tire with one car right now, and it's super impressive. They have a great lineup. Brian's a great driver. They have a fantastic driver lineup. They've got great technical feedback, and I'm sure the engineering department's pretty strong, obviously, to be able to do this. But you're right. They put a ton of effort into this, and this circuit probably... um, you know, mask some of that high speed, uh, high grip level needs that they may have struggle with in certain tracks, and, and they're they're really strong here. I think they would say now that their learning period is over and they want to compete at the highest level, and that's their next challenge. And I think they've been honest enough to admit that. Back in uh, Europe, they've just announced they're going back to the Nurburgring to try and win the 24 hours uh, of the Nurburgring this year. Uh, you'll be able to hear live coverage of that on our. Uh, sister channel at RadioLamont.com, of course, uh, later on in the year. Uh, let's uh, head back down to the pit lane and give Jeremy Shaw a little bit uh, more air time. Jeremy, where are you now? Um, I'm trying to find somewhere from where you can hear me, but uh, <laughs> I'm afraid it's not really working, so I think we better take a pass on this, because every time I try and talk to a driver and get out of line of sight, uh, then uh, it doesn't really work. So I'll do what I can, but uh, I'm afraid we're finding a losing battle at the moment. All right. I, I'm right now, I'm right in front of the... Uh, of the pickup point for the for the uh, RF frequency here, but uh, anywhere else it doesn't seem to work. I'm afraid. Sorry. It's all right. No worries. Uh, Jeremy Shadows down there as well. We'll try and speak to her uh, in a wee while. A bit of tweakage uh, required there in this early part uh, of the week. No major changes uh, in the times at the moment. Alex Riberes uh, at the wheel of the 23 GTD Porsche uh, now still uh, at the head or still at the head of that with a two or three. Four, those GTD cars have been a part of uh, the Grand Am Championship and now the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. Of course, next year, massive change to come with GT3, full FIA spec cars uh, coming in. be very interesting to see what that does. I, I, I'm very excited about that. We're going to take nothing away from this year because I think that's going to be a very, very... 
very competitive championship but already lots of people talking excitedly about what brands and cars might come into the championship next year so Sebastian Bordier in the pit John Pugh out there in second place Tracy Crone aboard the 57 car which heads through turn 17 now in that Crone racing lime green that we've become used to on Ferraris and prototypes makes a late dash and turning hard right into the pit lane Mark easy to get that wrong there even coming into the pit lane because if you just pinch that corner a little bit too much as you come into pit lane hard right out of 17 easy to loop that car and particularly through uh, for the high downforce cars because once you get under a certain speed you don't have any aero grip anymore so you're relying strictly on suspension and tires and if you can ex if you exceed that threshold at all the car goes away really fast uh, can hear uh, Jeremy Shaw is uh, back up, uh, down on the pit lane. Uh, Jeremy, uh, yeah, cannot? Yeah, uh, um, but with uh, Dennis Trebbing, uh, a youngster here from, uh, from locally in Florida. And uh, Dennis has been racing in Europe for the last couple of years, starting off with Skip Barber. And Dennis, you were supposed to be driving one of the Mjolnir Motorsport uh, Porsches here, making your debut in the Junior United Sports Car Championship. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Yeah, no, it got cancelled. The team decided to withdraw the vehicle from the race. So, uh, another year I'm going to sit and watch instead of uh, driving. A little disappointed, but I have a full season in Europe again. So, we're going to see what happens there. Yeah, you've been driving Scirocco's and Porsches and all sorts of things in Europe. What is your primary plan for this year? Yeah, I race uh, Scirocco Cup and uh, Porsche on the North Slide. So, I'm returning this year to race Porsche on the North Slide for one more year and uh, see what we can get going for you know, the rest of the season. I'm hopefully, you know, maybe make my debut this year in a Tudor United Sports Car Championship. Yeah, I mean, how, how, I know you, you must have been really pumped about making your debut here at Zebra. You've got a lot of bars around here in the Skip Barber car, but a Porsche 9, uh, 911 is uh, quite a bit of a different, a different yeah. animal, huh? Yeah, many, I have a lot of laps here at Skip Barber. Um, I would, Connor DeFilippo and I, I think would have done pretty well against the competitors. But, hey, we'll live to tell another day, and we'll see if we can do it together one day. All right, Dennis. Good to see you. Good luck in Europe this year. Thank you. Uh, man after my own heart, the Nordschleifer, one of uh, the most challenging circuits in the world. And before I shuffle off this mortal coil, um, I am determined that I will race there. Le Mans and the Nordschleifer, two places I am desperate to race at. Because, of course... Mark Miller taking our uh, broadcaster's jobs here, sitting in the booth with us, a racing <laughs> driver. I am going to go the other way. I'm going to start off as a commentator and finish up as a racing driver. That is my avowed intent. Definitely oh, uh, have that, that's not what I'm doing. I'm practicing to be able to commentate while I'm racing. That's good. So I can take everybody's job. <laughs> don't, uh, don't be at all greedy, Mark. Don't, <laughs> don't even give that a second thought. I'm just trying to expand my horizon. <laughs> Uh, so we are, what, 46 minutes, good, good gracious, with three quarters of the way through this already as the 007 Aston Martin makes its way around the circuit. It's James Davison uh, at the wheel of that car. Christina Nielsen in that car with James as well this weekend. This is the blue Aston going hard down on the brakes. This very similar to uh, a GT3 spec, the rear end with that big wing. Lucky enough recently to drive a full GT3 spec version of that car over in Europe and amazing now these guys are having to do without the ABS and traction control that I had on the car at Monte Blanco and I can only imagine trying to 
readjust mark when you've been used to something where you literally just jump on the middle pedal with all the force you can and trail break right up to the apex which you can do with this current race bred abs these race bred abs systems and then all of a sudden do that and not feather off as the arrow comes off and you're going to flat spot your tires yeah and speaking from experience that is a very easy thing to do when you don't bring the tires up to to temperature properly um you don't take care of those those tires and get them up to um up to full te operating temp you can easily flat spot tires and once you do that it's it's easy it gets easier and easier as you run um you know, I, I look at these GTD cars as, as a much more challenging car in a way to, to drive just because there's a little bit more um, things that you have to take care of depending on aero grip, uh, the fact that they have the Continental tires on them. Everyone's got it's a slightly harder compound than obviously the Michelins. You have less lateral grip. Um, and then you don't have the traction control in the ABS. The good thing about that is it also makes it more of a driver's car. So you have a little bit more control over that behind the wheel rather than the electronics doing a lot of things for you. And the teams that really sort out these cars with the electronics, um, you can kind of see the difference in, in how some of the LM cars are working. The great thing about LM, though, is those teams are so good that the entire top five or top six is covered within a few tenths of a second. Yes. You know, it's it, everything is working, you know, ten tenths and, and working properly. But if they have one little glitch with these things, you know, it makes the car almost undrivable. Uh, you listen to IMSA Radio. That was Mark Miller. I'm John Hindorf. Greg Kramer uh, is with me as well. Uh, 52.4, Greg, uh, is the best time we've seen so far. What have we seen here in the past? Well, in terms of the Tudor Series and this uh, this combined prototype category, uh, the track record set last year by Sebastian Bourdais was a 151.9. So we're not there, but I certainly think for the first session of the entire deal to be within half a second of it, I think that's going to be seriously eclipsed. Obviously, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, Greg, I think I think we're going to see the the top class here eclipse the track record as well as GTD. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they've already eclipsed the GTD qualifying record let's, already. Let's uh, nip down to Jeremy Shaw, who I think I heard in the background there said he's got Brian Sellers. Indeed, I have, and, <laughs> and immediately, of course. We get, we get we went off again, there we? you go. No, it's fine. Go. I'll, I'll hold the mic, the uh, antenna up in the air. Brian, a uh, completely sort of different sort of noise down here. You've got a youngster at home, uh, and now you've got a completely different uh, kind of cacophony going on around here. Yeah, this noise is easier for me to sleep through than the other. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's good to be back at Sebring. Um, this is one of my favorite races of the year. And Day Daytona is great, but I think this is, you know, the fans make this a, a spectacle of U.S. motorsports. So it's good to be back and hear this noise again. And, and uh, showing good pace early in this weekend in the Volkentar Porsche. Yeah, so, so far so good. I mean, we've done some testing here in, in the offseason, and I think... We're pretty well prepared coming into the race, um, but you know, as always, it's one of those things we go out and drive, and it was—it's much different than it was last test we were here. The lap times are pretty similar, but the characteristics of the car are a lot different, and that's kind of normal here at Sebring. You, you know, the the track really ebbs and flows with the temperature, the wind. Um, so this weekend's going to be a lot different. High temperatures. We'll have to kind of 
see where it takes us. But these temperatures are where we tested, so this is what we're we're used to seeing. Well, I mean, you had a fantastic end of last season at Petit Le Mans. You had a really strong run at Daytona. Was that a little bit of a surprise? Well, under the way it ended. Well, yeah, unfortunately, it, it ended up with a bad surprise, but. I, I would say no, it wasn't a surprise. We expected to come in and be strong and to race well. We knew that we would struggle kind of for outright pace, but it was never really our goal. Our goal was to be strong through the course of a stint. In Daytona, we were able to do that. So I, I would imagine we'll see a little bit of the same. Right now, our outright pace looks looks strong, but as everyone else starts to come to, I think we'll, we'll kind of fall in right where we need to be and have a good race pace. So how do you think you are in terms of consistency here? Well, in, in testing, we've been really strong. We've had good stint performance, which is something we've focused on. But again, uh, with with the conditions that are coming, I can't remember in any kind of short-term uh, Sebring being this hot is what we're getting ready to see. So, and this track does, it does funny things when it gets warm. You lose a lot of grip. It gets very greasy. It degrades the tires really, really quickly. So, um, I think it'd be a surprise this afternoon what we're going to see. Yeah, it, is, it is a really unique challenge here at Sebring. And I, I heard the track's getting smoother. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We, after the years, we've just continued to wear the bumps down with the bottom of the floor of the car. So uh, it's, it's definitely not smoother. Every time, every time you come back to Sebring, you think, I'll be used to the bumps and I'll be ready this time. But it's only been four weeks since I've been here, and I thought, my God, again, the, I can't believe how bad it is over the bumps. Very cool, Brian. Hey, have a good weekend again. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Well done. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> In a stiff chassis car with downforce, it has to be like riding a 140-mile-an-hour pogo stick. Uh, it's you know, unbelievable. It's, it's you can see them. Yeah. You see them get literally airborne. And, you know, that takes effect on huh. the aero grip, too, because you're bouncing up and letting a, a certain amount of air underneath the car. We just saw uh, one of the PC cars going through 17 in the air. And it just it you get all that air under under the uh, floor tray, and the diffuser and the, the wings just stop working eff effectively. Well, and so many of the bumps are in areas where you're turning. You know, you're yes. braking and turning. Oh, yeah. And, it, you know, it's one thing to have bumps in a, in a straight line, but, uh, you know, you better have mighty quick hands on the wheel. And, you know, some of the other challenges, that turn one, obviously the exit of one when you hit those bumps and, you know, the track narrows up and you're really driving into that funnel. But you get, your apex is so close to that inner wall. We saw Ben Devlin a number of years ago. It just it. got a little bit crossed up, <laughs> mm -hmm. and, that, and that front dive plane caught it, just sort of buckled the uh, nose just enough to let air underneath and up you went i mean you're so close to that wall right there and that's fast i mean this place presents lots of different challenges it does you know in again one and 17 are similar in a way in that there's a couple different ways you can get through there because you, you exit one and you have that short shoot into two and three and you can give up a little bit right in the center of one and get a better run through and carry speed. It just all depends on on how you set up the car and how you approach it. But you've yeah, got to make the car drivable everywhere around here. Um, all it takes is one little mistake, and yep. it's just it ruins the the 12-hour experience. But we had a very close moment. There may have even been a little bit of a bump right there. The uh, 
number 10 car, obviously Ricky Taylor for Wayne Taylor Racing, coming up behind a little bit of traffic. And one of the cars in front was Justin Wilson, who's running in the number 60 Shank car. And right as Ricky went to make a move, overcame Justin. And, I mean, either Ricky just was so quick on the wheel, uh, it just looked like he got tapped and moved over, or there was a little bit of a tap. That's the traffic we're talking about. And a very fast car gets trapped behind somebody, another one catches him. That's now completely exaggerated. Five minutes left in the session, gentlemen. Boy, it's flown by. Uh, Well, uh, it's flown by for us. Imagine what it's like for the teams who are trying to get two, three, or four drivers through the car. And, you know, since the rules have been changed here at Sebring to allow more drivers than three in the car, it looks like, Mark, there's an awful lot of time on the track out there. But actually, if you've got to put four guys through and, and get them all up the pace... It, it, you know, it, time is at a premium here. Right, and it, and it depends on your situation. You know, some of these guys that are they're working in a, in a pro-am environment, they're, they're either getting a lot of time because they're trying to sort the car out and make it really comfortable for, for the, the, their co-drivers to get in the car, or they're just getting a couple laps and then letting everyone else drive, which means they're not getting time in the car. But these pro lineups, they're, they're definitely running through the drivers and they're trying to make the car better. You know, when you when you think about it, all these guys have been here yes. for weeks and weeks. It's not like they're really clamoring. Um, it, it's it's the guys that are put to those last minute deals together that are really clamoring to get in the car and get their seat time and and get because they they're been catch up mode. Yeah. First session, they're already in catch up mode. Uh, let's see if we can have a quick word with Sheer Adam down in the pit lane. Sheer, can you hear us? Hello, Sheer. Hello, Sheer Adam. Oh, a little bit of a crack. Oh, is that you, Shit? Well, I'm just satisfying my own curiosity that I was pushing the right buttons. Uh, <laughs> we need. I've got. Ooh. A, uh, oh, and that Aston is Martin. A, one of the Aston Martin cars off. And that is the. That's the 98. That's the works car, yeah. isn't it? It's uh, way off, too. It's Paul Dallalana, eighth position in GTLM, and that's coming on to the Ullman straight, the back straight yeah. out of turn 16. Looks like he got away with it. Thank yeah. goodness there's yeah. a lot of runoff back there. Awful and it's flat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That helps. Shaking a little bit of the grass and dirt out. Yeah, that's cool. Dejunking the tires. Yeah. <laughs> that and is it, you, people don't realize how much um, how much you really have to take it easy after having an off or going even offline. So these tires are build up a lot of operating temperature. And if you if you look at the track surface and you see all these balls of rubber just yep. offline. If you drive over those and pick that up, it's you're going to complain about the car being undrivable for at least two laps unless you can get all that back off of the, the, the tire. So when you drive off, it cools the tire like crazy. You've got all this grass and dirt and, and crud on the tire, um, and then it has no grip. So you really have to be careful when you have an off like that to come back on and get rid of that uh, top layer of of unusable rubber. Yeah. Adam Green has tweeted in to us here to ask if there's any word on the uh, Delta Wing. It's done half a dozen laps or so. Catherine Leg uh, last at the wheel uh, of that car. Gearbox issues we were hearing earlier on, which has been, I'm afraid, the bane of their life, hasn't it, uh, in uh, all of the iterations of the, uh, the Delta Wing. And uh, that's continuing here on the bumps uh, at Sebring, we'll get an update on that uh, as soon as we can. Uh, we've got uh, what about a minute left of this session. The Mazdas out there with their diesel engine LMP2 
cars, which in the uh, European mindset of things will be outlawed. We'll be able to have a diesel engine in LMP2 uh, come 2017 if the current FIA and ACO uh, proposals are followed through. Just four chassis manufacturers, one tyre, one engine. I strongly suspect that will not be the case here in IMSA, uh, land of the free competition. Uh, home of the brave <laughs> chassis manufacturer, hopefully. <laughs> well done. Very well done. I think it's a real opportunity, actually, to, gr to grow the series here. You bet. That is the way that uh, the guys back in Europe want to go. And BMW, the 25 car in the standard uh, colours, the IHG colours this morning, the uh, hashtag IHG Racing, and the Rewards Club guys uh, with us again this weekend for the... For the uh, 40th anniversary of uh, BMW. Let's try Shea again. Shea Adam, can you hear us? Oh, hello. No, there we are. Hello, Shea. Hello, John. Fine. Yay. Yay. Well done to Brian and you for sorting that yeah, one out. Thank you to Brian for that. Uh, lots of news to report from down here, but the biggest uh, story of the day so far was number eight slowing down on track. That was because of the fuel pickup issue. They got that all figured out. Mike Kedlin back behind the wheel of the car now. He's out getting his first laps uh, around Seagrave this weekend. Mirko uh, Schultz has already had his, and uh, obviously Ranger Vanderzander was out when it had the issues. But the guys said, no, we're not worried. We'd rather test the car to run out of fuel now to know how far we can go rather than in the race. So that's what's uh, happening down here at the Starwoods pit. And the checkered flag has just come out. We'll have a quick final word with Jeremy Shaw, who I can see has turned his mic on as well. Jeremy? Yeah, it's been on all the time. Uh, with, uh, with Richard Westbrook, uh, who is, uh, did the early part of the session in the number 90 uh, Spirit of Daytona. Richard, track condition for you, a bit of a struggle. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just normal. It's to be expected at Sebring. It starts off bad, gets better, goes bad again, and then starts rubbery. Much because uh, you can get yourself running around in circles if you're not careful. And this place does seem, seem to be particularly susceptible to the air temperature change. With our car, we're really sensitive to that. Notice that we're not putting down the train that we were. We had the test a couple of weeks ago. Uh, especially the humidity plays happen with our car. So, yeah, it's all those things. Well, well, we'll break away from that because clearly there's so much RF and data going on down there. You can actually hear it breaking into the transmission. But uh, Richard Westbrook, Westbrook there, I think, confirming what we were hearing earlier on from uh, one or two of the other drivers of how difficult it is. Patrick Lindsay reminds me Diesel's already banned in P2 in ACO competition. Thank you, Patrick. Yes, and it, it, it will allegedly be banned uh, everywhere uh, come 2017. As I say, I am not... Uh, I'm not entirely certain that that will actually come to fruition. So, gentlemen, Greg Kramer and Mark Miller alongside me. Mark from CJ Wilson Racing. Greg Kramer, IMSA Radio, and me, John Hindhoff, in the booth. Uh, interesting, interesting session. Uh, the five car, the Action Express, up at the top with a 52-4. That is not a shoddy time. No. It's not a shoddy time at all, Greg. Well, we were just talking about it. I mean, basically a half second already off of last year's track record, so certainly showing some very good pace. I, I wanted to make a comment here because I think one of the neat stories that we're seeing here, uh, 
the 31 Wheelan car that made the switch to the Action Express camp this year. Uh, you know, at Daytona, they were eking in on it and eking in on it. Now they're right there. I mean, Max Pappas turning a 54-2 right in the mix, fifth overall at this stage. I think that's a, a nice sign. And I did want to say one thing. The Action Express car is looking at some amazing numbers. The number five, the Mustang sampling car, if it can, if it completes every lap here at Sebring, which it has done since Daytona last year. It has finished every lap, every mile since Daytona last year. If it does it here, it will have finished over 10,000 consecutive wow. miles of racing here. So that's just a remarkable achievement by those guys, and uh, and they're doing it with pace as well. I mean, yeah. you know, winning the championship last year. Yeah, putting those those uh, teams together like that really has is, is elevated it um, quite quite a bit. I mean, the the Action Express team they've always been strong. Wheeling cars, they, you know, they they've come into something that that you know, talking to Eric and 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 some of the drivers there, it's just they're coming into something and they're just learning and learning and learning. Right. So you know, being able to work with together with that team is just fantastic for them. John uh, Bennett ended up in the fifty four car, and uh, of course, uh, Colin Brown. And the gang in that machine, that's the car that sits atop the prototype challenge category. Uh, dominated Daytona, but then had that bizarre little incident, that late contact that they didn't realize. Colin didn't realize the car was damaged, went a little bit farther, and then had a big shunt. So obviously they're looking to come back and have had a fair amount of success here at this venue. It is the number 25 BMW of Bill Oberlin from the uh, BMW Ray Hulletta and Lanigan team atop GTLM. And really, I think almost for that entire session, John, the number 23, uh, the uh, Alex Job Team Seattle car of Alex Riberas, uh, that 203-455 that they turned uh, has just parked them right at the top. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good run for those. Those guys know how to uh, win championships. Behind them, the uh, 73, Jim Norman finished the uh, session from them with a 203-4 and then I think it was John Potter at the wheel of the 44 GTD in third position with a 203. As yeah. you would expect in that category, Mark, very, very close indeed and important to get the non-pro drivers out early to get them feeling confident as well. Yeah, they're e- and they do flip-flop there. They're either going to send them out very early right away or they're going to put um, you know one of the veterans in there to shake the car down and then and then switch it around. Some some of these guys um, I, I know that Bleeka Mullen had had some issues with the 33 car early on but they were at the top of the timesheets for a little bit um, and then you know that may have hindered Ben from be- being able to get in the car until late late in the session and I know all those guys really want some added seat time. How how important are the early laps here Mark? I think the early laps are, are, are important. I mean, it's the cleanest the track is going to be. Um, I think it's a it's a good shakedown initially uh, to get to get out there and, and see what the the because your plan may change, your engineering plan may change over the session. You don't know what red flags are going to happen. You don't know if the session's going to be shut shut down or, or shortened. So you want to get out and get as much good usable information in the first session early as possible, and then kind of adjust from there. Well, thank you to Mark Miller and to Greg Kramer, also to Shadam and Jeremy Shaw down there in the pit lane. Uh, that is the first of our Tudor United Sports Car Championship practice sessions, all of the sessions here on IMSA Radio. And, of course, th- throughout the rest of the weekend, we'll be bringing you plenty of action from here at Sebring, Florida. This program is a production of IMSA and Radio Show Limited. For more, visit RadioLeMond.com.